Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. Don't forget that the design contest is just closing up submissions. So if you're listening to this the day that it releases, you have a little more than 24 hours to get your game in. Head over to theboardgameworkshop.com and you can check out the rules with the link at the top of the page. In this contributor episode, Matt talks about temptation and self-doubt and... Victoria and Alec continue their conversation about different cons and how they work out for self-publishing. Well, on to the show. Hello, everyone. This is Matt Shoemaker with Hidden with a Shoe. And this week, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about temptation and self-doubt when it comes to your designs. Um, This has come about a little bit. Um, particularly because of my Kickstarter, which is currently running for um, Be Lives, We Will Only Know Summer. We launched last week and have hit our funding goal, which is awesome. So do check us out at BeLivesGame.com or just search for Be Lives on Kickstarter. I mention this because when you launch a game on a Kickstarter platform, uh, and this is my first time doing so, uh, you get lots and lots of questions about a game. Um, This also goes through with the review process and getting previews done, um, just answering people's questions about it. Um, This is uh, very similar to blind playtesting in a way, uh, about setting out your baby into the world, so to speak, and seeing how other people interpret it. And um, as this implies, the implications with this for game design is really just how it makes you question your own design decisions and whether or not you should rethink things. Now, a lot of this gets down to um, things related to project-based work and project management, in my opinion. So what I mean by this is that every project uh, needs to start at an end date. When you're starting a game design, whether you're self-publishing or publishing it yourself, you need to set kind of an end date for that project when you decide whether or not it's viable or not and when it's done. Now, that said, nothing is ever truly done. You can always improve any piece of art, any game, anything like that. You can always work on it and tweak it forever for your entire life. And that is not something you can do. So when you're designing a game and you're taking it through the design process, the um, art direction process, the development process, the publishing process, all these things that I'm doing, you come to different decision points with each of these aspects of game design. And each of them bring you about to think about whether you're truly finished or not. And while you may come to that decision on your own, or maybe with your close group of playtesters or friends or other game designers, when you open it up to the whole world through something like Kickstarter or game previews, um, you're going to get a lot of outside opinions that you may not have anticipated. And these are all valid um, questions or design um, critiques. Um, but what you need to be concerned about is when they start making you question whether or not you made um, the right design decisions or maybe something else should be different about your design and if you make you want to take it back to playtesting. Now, this has not happened to me in the sense that I have not had um, questions come up about certain design choices that I've had and make me want to try different methods or bring them into playtesting, either through suggestions or not. Um, I believe this is because I had a very robust and thorough playtesting process with B-Lives, and I got it into a lot of people's hands. Um, But I can definitely see 
how um, with some designers I know particularly, they just like to try and tinker with things constantly. So if someone gives them a suggestion, they want to go back immediately and test it out. Um, I think the main lesson I'm trying to get to here is that uh, it's rare for there to be an absolutely perfect way to handle something. And there are multiple solutions to just about any game design problem. What you need to choose is the one that's most comfortable to you. Um, do try things out, but you need to put a time limit on these choices so you can actually call your game done at a uh, certain time point. And then it doesn't turn into a three, four, five year project. Um, if you're trying to get it published, you can just uh, work at it until you're you're at a convenient point that you're happy where things are working and you can move it along in the process and get to another design. So with that, uh, it's tough to know when exactly playtesting should end. And personally, I think it's when everything's working um, in the game, when you get what you were trying to convey through the game across to people, and they are understanding that, and um, that, of course, the game is working. It is not breaking. I think if you have those three criteria hit, um, the game should be pretty close to a stage where you can move it along, either to a publisher or yourself, um, to self-publish, and you don't need to worry so much about what others are saying about your game as much when it comes to questioning design decisions. Now, if somebody comes back with something because your game's broken, you'd certainly need to go back and address that. But if it's simply tweaking at some points, I think there can be such a thing as too much tweaking. Um, again, remember the old slogan that the perfect is the enemy of the good. Um, everybody wants a perfect game. But what we need out there is lots of good games so you can design more games rather than just get fewer and fewer of them out there. So with that, I'm going to leave you for the week. I've got a lot to get going with this Kickstarter. Um, again, uh, if you want to check it out, go to BeLivesGame.com or just look up BeLives on Kickstarter. Thanks all, and I will see you next time. I'm Alex. I'm Victoria. And this is part two of our conversation. conversation. <laughs> review? Not really reviews. Our discussion just, about... I'm having a chit-chat. A chit-chat about, about various cons. cons. Yes. For, from a self-publishing perspective. So this is part two. Uh, earlier we talked about Metatopia, PAX Unplugged, Winter NYC Game Expo, and Too Many Games. Today we're going to talk about some of the larger cons that we've been to, starting with Origins. So a lot of people know Origins is the second largest board game convention in the United States. It is in Columbus, Ohio, and it's a very big con. Lots and lots of vendors, lots and lots of people, lots of play areas. What did you think about Origins? Origins is great because they have an Unpub area, but Unpub is an organization that works with conventions to have a prototype area where designers can run their up and coming future games, but they also have a convention of their own that they run every year. And so it's great that at Origins they have this area where you can sign up to, to show your game. And I think that the benefit of Origins is more to test your game with other designers or people in the industry as opposed to finding new, fresh players who are interested in playing your game. Do you agree, Alex? Because I yeah, feel like 
Yeah. No, that's definitely true. I feel like a lot of the players at Origins mm -hmm. know exactly what they want. They're going there and they're there to play an RPG or they're there to play a tactics game. And in terms of like a fresh new audience that's open and receptive to playing prototypes, trying mm -hmm. out new games, giving you positive, healthy feedback, there wasn't a lot of that. We did get to play the game a lot of times with, like you said, our designer mm -hmm. friends. But if you don't have designer friends or you're not very good at networking, I don't know if Origins is maybe the best place place to really get great feedback on a game. Yeah, I agree. Basically, I'd put it like this. If you have a game that is for entry-level players, or it's a transitional or gateway game, PAX Unplugged is a better fit. Whereas if you have a, I don't know, I don't want to call it more complicated, but if you have a more, how you would you put it? have a game that appeals, a more complex game. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, like a... More like a more gamery game, a meteor game. Yeah, meteor game, that's mm -hmm. a good word for it. Then <laughs> Origins is a better taste of, is a better place to play test it because the gamers who come here are more experienced with that. Yeah, they, they seem to prefer that more. At mm -hmm. least that was our experience. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that had more complex games got mm -hmm. a lot of good uh, playtest and feedback, whereas like a lot mm -hmm. of the people who had simpler games, more casual games, had a harder time finding their audience. Right. Yeah, and I've, I've heard that at Origins, the unpub room location has changed throughout the years. Sometimes it's very close to the expo hall. Sometimes it's very far away. Sometimes they do this cool thing where they put little footprints on the ground that attendees can follow so they can go to the room. But this year, the traffic was a little bit light in comparison to the foot traffic that we've received at some other cons. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you go to Origins, it's more of a networking type con. If you want to meet up with people in the industry or people that you're friends with on Twitter and hang out with them, that was where we gathered most of the value. But if you're trying to promote your game and just try to show it to as many people as possible, perhaps the unpub room there is not the best for you. That's It's more of a play testing area. Uh, and then mm -hmm. I heard that if you got a booth at Origins, that that could be worthwhile because the booths did get a lot of traffic. Yeah, that seemed to be where... Um... That seemed to be where a lot of the foot traffic was going in mm -hmm. the main convention area. And yeah. Origins, to me, struck uh, stuck out as a very industry-heavy convention. Mm -hmm. Like, if you were a part of the industry, uh, you wanted to make connections in the industry. I think the key thing to do when going into Origins is to have a plan. I have these people I want to meet. I have these publishers I want to talk to. I have to have these game designers play my game. It's probably good for that situation. But if you're just going and you don't really have a plan and you just want to see what happens, maybe get a few play tests, probably not worth your value. Mm -hmm. And just uh, to put it out there, the price for early bird badges was $60 this year, and the regular price is $70. And that's actually a pretty good deal because the con started on Wednesday, I think. It was a Wednesday through Sunday. We arrived on Thursday. We weren't there for the industry day, mm -hmm. but that's pretty good value. Yeah. So... Uh, the next con that we went to was Dice Tower Con in Orlando, Florida, hosted by the Dice Tower, the mm -hmm. YouTube channel that does many of the board game reviews that people are very familiar with. And Dice Tower Con was... It was chill. It was the chillest con that we've been to because as opposed to PAX Unplugged and Origins, which has about... I think I'm just throwing numbers, but I think 20, 000, around 20,000 people go to those cons. Dice Tower Con has about... 
2,000. Maybe this year they had 5,000, but it's it's less. Yes, this is definitely mm -hmm. a smaller con, and it's definitely a con that is not at all focused on, on the expo floor. On the expo mm -hmm. floor, there were there were still there was still a, a small expo mm -hmm. floor, but in contrast to uh, Origins, which was basically all expo mm -hmm. for, Dice Tower Con was basically all free play area. Mm -hmm. They had a giant board game library with mm -hmm. a lot of great stuff, a giant play area where you could just grab a table and sit there all day and play board mm -hmm. games. And they had a lot of great systems for if you mm -hmm. needed to play games, couldn't find players, or you needed a teacher for a game. Uh, all of that was in place to just make sure you were there, you were playing everything you want, and you made sure you had a good time. Yeah. And the good thing about Dice Terracon is one, they do have an area, I think it's only one day, where you're able to show your prototype. And while the foot traffic isn't very heavy, it's great that they have that as an opportunity. We did get a few groups that were able to test our game there. But I think the real value of Dice Terracon is that in this large free-to-play area, they let you run your game and show it to as many people are willing to play your game. I don't think you're allowed to put a banner up, but you can have a table tent of some sort um, on your table and just look for players because they have these, I don't know what they're called, foam board type things. They basically have these signs that you're able to hold that say, looking for a player, or I'm a teacher willing to show this game. And you use those for the games in the regular game library, but you can also use that for your game. Yeah, I think overall it was more of a fun con than it was yeah. a good con to promote our game or even even get good play tests in. Yeah. So if you're looking for a con that's a lot of fun, but maybe not the best for showing off your self-published game, mm -hmm. then I think Dice Tower Con is an excellent choice. Mm -hmm. The next con we went to is Evergreen Tabletop Expo in Redmond, Washington. I didn't actually get a chance to go to this con, but Victoria, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how it's structured, what it's all about, what's going on? Yes, so the reason that I went to Evergreen Tabletop Expo, also known as ETX, with my sister Valerie, who does the graphic design for our game, was because we entered this thing called the Playtest Northwest Lucy Awards. I think that this is the third year that they've run it, but it's basically a tabletop game design competition and you submit something online, you create a video, and if you make it into the top eight, you get a spot at ETX to demo your game and then go through the judging process and potentially win either the best game design competition or the People's Choice Award. So we ended up winning the People's Choice Award, which was really awesome. And I think that I think it's still if you make if you're able to enter the contest and make it to the top eight, I think it's a worthwhile convention to go to. And I'm saying that even if we didn't win the award, I would have enjoyed going to it. And that's because we were able to meet people who are at the heart of the game design community, of the industry. And I think that's so valuable because Prior to going to ETX, I wasn't really involved in board game Twitter. And then I went, then after I went to ETX, I was super involved with board game Twitter. And I think that's because I met so many people who were supportive of what we're doing as self publishers and as game designers. And even though they may not be quote, players who are going to back your game, those connections are important because they're going to support you online. They're going to follow you. They're going to help you along the way. And I think that that's important. Awesome. All right. 
Now we're gonna talk about the big one. Gen Con. <laughs> dun dun dun. Gen Con. Gen Con. Ooh, yeah. So Gen Con's the big one. Everyone knows Gen Con. It's the yeah. largest convention in the United States, and it is probably the largest in the world. I don't know the exact numbers on it. But maybe it's not, maybe SN is, but still it's really big. It's really big. Uh, and I think that is the key pro of Gen Con. It is so big that it's got everything. It's got new players. It's got old players. It's got RPG rooms. It's got a big uh, free play area. It's got a big expo, expo hall. It's got everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone's there. Every, no one's not at Gen Con. And I think that was the best part of Gen Con. That like, if there was a part of Gen Con that you didn't want to be a part of, you didn't have to. It was such a big con that you could go days without seeing half of it. And yeah. I really enjoy that aspect of it. And so the way that we demoed our game here is there are probably multiple ways that you can go about it. You can run, you can sign up to GM your game as an event. You can rent a booth, which is probably more expensive and complicated. But there's also this thing called the first exposure playtest hall, where you basically pay, I can't remember the exact cost, but I think it was around $300 mm-hmm. and you get two badges and we got four two-hour play test slots and you get to choose which day and time you want shoot I hit the microphone day and time that you want to have those play tests and there's a special room dedicated to it that is actually very popular and people sign up they can either sign up ahead of time to to play your game but most of them will sign up for your game right when your time slot is and I was really amazed because every time our game plays two to five people we had five people come to every single one of our playtest sessions yeah and they were all excited and interested and ready to play games mm-hmm. and it was like a, it was a very it was very refreshing i don't know it was very cool to see um these types of players just so passionate about mm-hmm. playing games and it was cool to have that yeah i think if you're able to to tap into people who are going to Gen Con, who are clearly very serious about playing games and buying games, those are the people that you want to reach out to. So while we we signed up for the four slot play uh, first exposure playtest hall package, I think that we should have purchased the eight because we would have been able to run our game with more people and get more people to sign up for our email list or follow us on Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah, so I think Gen Con is a great combination of a fun con you can go to to meet players, designers, and publishers. They're all there. It's definitely can be a little overwhelming. There's a lot going on, but I think if you go in with a plan and an objective, it's definitely a good time. All right, now we're going to do a lightning round. Quick recap. Every single con we talked about and why you should go. Metatopia. Game design development and focused player feedback. Pax Unplugged. Many, many email subscriptions. Okay, a lot of people will playtest your game and then hopefully sign up for your email list. Winter NYC Game Expo. It's free and some people will play your game. Evergreen Tabletop Expo. If you made it into the finals of the contest and hope to win the contest, but also to network with people who are deep within the gaming community. Origins. Hanging out with cool people in the industry and people you've met out online, as well as having some other designers play test your game in the Unbub area. Too many games. Tapping into people in the local area who are really excited to support games because they don't get a lot of attention from other conventions. And this is not just for too many games, this is for any like yeah, local, local con in your area. Dice Tower Con. 
primarily for having fun and playing games, but you could also show your game in the, in the free-to-play area. Gen Con. Everything. You can show your game. You can have a good time. You can network with people. It's the best. I understand why so many people go. And that's it for us. This is Alex and Victoria signing off. Thank you for tuning in to our con chat. Con- chat converse- conversation. Conversation. Yes. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. like to thank all of our patreon supporters for helping support the show especially our inventor level supporters chris turner alan d eckert and 3d6 space that's all for this episode you can get the show notes for all episodes at boardgameworkshop.com follow the show on twitter at the bg workshop join the show's facebook group discuss the episodes and support the show on patreon at patreon.com slash the board game workshop Thanks for listening.